Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. My name is Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. Good afternoon on this beautiful Sunday. Yes, except Donya is being traumatized by cicadas. Yes, I am. I am. I am. She is. Oh, but <laughs> as always, thank you for sharing part of your Sunday with us. I'm going to do a quick housekeeping thing. For whatever reason, you're going to see a lot of um, links saying live streaming family history book. Do not click on those links. We are trying to work that out with Facebook. It's spam, probably phishing. So whatever you do, please do not click on those links. So with that said, Donnie is going to introduce this week's guest. Yes, I am. And um, there is a lot of little spam and bugs and everything because my Adobe and my word has just shut down with my information. But because we have such good marketing flyers about our, about our guests, I can read from that. So I just want to introduce Karen Nance and Laquita Parks. Karen is an author, an attorney, a public speaker, a private investigator, and she's going to share her experiences as um, as successful published author of family history books and what she's doing right now. And Laquita is her publisher, uh, and she's her an owner of publisher of Pop Pro V Publishing Company. And how she came about that name is going to be very interesting. I want you guys to definitely listen to that. And she's going to speak about her experience as a publisher and give you her perspective on publishing. So welcome, ladies. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. Very good. Thank you. Such a pleasure to have you on the show. And my, my main question for, for both of you all is going to be around publishing. So a lot of times I keep hearing this catchphrase, compelling. You know, you want to write a compelling book or tell a compelling story. But in my mind, compelling is such a subjective word. What might be compelling to one publisher or editor is not going to necessarily be compelling to another. So actually, it would be good to get both the writer and the publisher's point of view on this one. Um, how do you define compelling? And um, how do you relate that in terms of books that specifically family history books that publishers might might be interested in publishing. I can start. Um, obviously, I think <laughs> that everyone thinks that their own story or their book is, is compelling, right? And so we need to have input from others and experts in the field are, are very much appreciated. I um, am thankful that I met uh, Laquita through um, LinkedIn. And I'm also fortunate that not only is she a publisher, but she is a coach. So I think that that is really instrumental for me in, in getting my story out there that um, not, not only have the, the uh, publishing aspect that she provides, but also the coaching. So, so I'll defer to her at, um, uh, on, on how uh, that looks from, from the publisher's perspective. Yes, so, um, okay, so I, I, I didn't know if Karen was, was finished or not. So from the, from the publishing standpoint, and, 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 the, and the publishing company is PayProV, um, Pain Progress Victory. So with, with that, as far as compelling, compelling is in the eye of the, of the writer or in the pen of the writer, in the eye of the beholder. So what you're right, Brian, what compelling to one or interesting to one is what might be different or interesting to another person. Um, but the, the thing from a, from a publisher standpoint is your story is your story. So just because I don't, may not find your story compelling doesn't mean that your story isn't compelling because it depends on my, my uh, level of interest. And it depends on how um, the difference in your story. Um, Karen's story, Oh, we're having some issues. Yes. She just, she just have, broke up. Um, I, I think I have some I'm sorry. I, I have some connectivity issues, so I'm I'm going in and out of connectivity, so I apologize. That's okay. Go um, ahead and pick up where you left off. We hear you. So um, I was saying Karen's story, for instance, 
um, Karen's story is truly compelling because there is such a rich history. Her family history is so rich and her family history is combined or um, entangled, so to speak, with some, with some groundbreaking events in history. Um, her family was a part of the 920 uh, lynchings in Duluth, Minnesota. And Duluth, Minnesota, as everybody knows, is connected. Minnesota is connected with the um, with the the murder of George Floyd. So her family history uh, is connected, and it's very rich. So her family history is very compelling. Whereas my family history is compelling also, but they're not they're they're not um, you know um, black history activists and civil rights activists and you know, NAACP starters. So all of those things are encompassed in Karen's history. So as far as compelling, what's compelling, um, it, 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 it's just in the eye of the reader. However, I, I do preference it by saying just because one does not think that their family is compelling doesn't negate the fact that it's your family story and tell your story. Well, I'm going to make a comment and then I'm going to cycle back to you, Lakita, because that sounds like an amazing name for a company, um, Pain, Progress, and Victory. But mm -hmm. so I'm going to cycle back to you and find out how you came up. Yes. With um, but I love what you said because it really touched on something that Nika Smith from Black Progen said on Friday. There's um, Donnie and I went to an award ceremony for the sons and daughters of the United States Middle Passage. And she was emphasizing about as historians and genealogists and researchers, we can tend to get wrapped up in ancestors who were famous or, you know, did something or, or um, you know, whether they were leaders in the civil rights movement or movement in slave revolts or, you know, they, they just did something that kind of lifted their up. And she was reminding us that as researchers, as storytellers, as uh, public historians, we should also celebrate the ancestors who just merely survived. Mm. You know, considering what our people had to face in the, you know, our 400 years in this country, that not everyone is going to be a luminary. So, you know, talking about the, the black farmer who you know, had to struggle during the, the, you know, the, the depression and other periods. So I just thought that that was a really good kind of lead into the comment that you made, which was, was absolutely perfect. And I'm really intrigued how you came up with the name Pain, Progress, and Victory. For your publishing company. I'm, I'm sure there is a story behind that. There, there is a story behind it. So uh, the pandemic has been bad for a lot of people uh, and myself included. I've lost people in my family. I've, I've lost loved ones. I've had friends that lost loved ones. Um, but my story is one of pain, progress, victory. Uh, I, I have a story of childhood medical trauma, at the hands of a nurse who jabbed me in my thigh, left me crippled for life. I've had 15 surgeries on my right leg and foot. Um, before the pandemic hit, I had been to the Mayo Clinic four times. The fourth time I was at the Mayo Clinic, the doctor told me I was not dying, but I was suffering. And I knew then that I was not gonna be able to go back and work my corporate job. So I was already doing mentoring, coaching. Uh, I have a, a lady group that I started some 20 years ago. So I was already doing those things. And I said, you know, well, what am I going to do with myself? So I, I published people's stories while I was at the, at the um, Mayo Clinic. And a friend of mine said, well, you might as well add publishing to your banner. And I said, well, what would I call it? And so a friend of mine, and, and actually one of my authors said, um, pay pro V. And I was like, no, that doesn't sound catchy enough. That doesn't flow off the lips. And I said, pay pro V and pay P-A-P-R-O-V-I, pain, progress, victory. And I said, wow. I said, that's the story of my life. So I named the company pain, pay pro V, which means pain, progress, victory, because I believe that without pain, there is no progress. And without progress, there can be no victory. So I started helping people take their stories from a thought to a realization and start the healing process in the, in the midst of it because writing is therapeutic. I started that process with myself. I started writing my story. Um, I, I wrote my own book, um, Walking Limitations by Other People's Definition and started the healing process for myself. 
So pain, progress, victory means just what it says. We have to go through the pain to get through the progress. And then we have to go through the progress to get through to the victory. So on the other side of it, and that's where the name Pape came from. And I, I tell you, I absolutely love it. And getting a chance to talk to so many people about their story, their pain story, and then their progress story, and then their victory story, and the realization, taking your story from a thought. See, the thought is what you have in your head. And I want to write a story, or my family has a story, or I'm not quite sure what to do with my story. And then the victory is that realization, having that book in your hand. Awesome. That is excellent. Um, Karen, what actually started you down the road to actually writing your family history book? And if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about what the, the, the premise of the book and what it's about with our audience. Sure. Um, I had told my grandmother who um, lived, uh, she was born in 1899. She died in 1992. Her name is Ethel Ray Nance. And she was a very um, supportive um, activist, I'll call her, um, during her lifetime. And, and before she passed, I told her that I wanted to write her story. So it was a commitment to my grandmother that I wanted to fulfill. Uh, it's been a long time since 1992, just life struggles and things have, have uh, prevented me from getting started on writing the book. But I would say about five years ago, I got a good start. Um, and, and I had submitted the, the book about her life um, to several editors and, and was turned down. Uh, my grandmother um, was uh, W.E.B. Du Bois' secretary for over 40 years. Uh, she was active in Harlem during the Renaissance. So she has a, um, a lot of um, uh, accolades to her credit, but she was always, she's mentioned in probably 50 books as a footnote. And I, I originally said uh, my, my, the title of my book would be um, Ethel Ray Nance, more than just a footnote. And so even though I had written over 400 pages of, of a manuscript, I submitted it to several editors and was turned down. And uh, even though the pandemic has knocked a lot of us down, I found that through LinkedIn, I could make some contacts with people and, and through a couple of different, different uh, tunnels, I'll say, I got in contact with Laquita and uh, she was very, very supportive. And I think that um, what is very discouraging these days is that, and, is that there's this barrier to being able to, to publish your, your story. And either it's a financial barrier because people were quoting me just for editing from $2,000 to $5,000, which didn't even include uh, the publishing of the book, just the editing of the book. And so luckily I, I, I uh, was able to meet Laquita and I shared with her my, my transcript, and uh, my draft, and she said that um, she would able, be able to coach me through the process. And so we didn't meet until January of this year. And my grandmother had an older sister, Aura, who died right before she turned eight years old. And so it was Laquita who said, you know, this story about, about your grandmother's sister, your great aunt, is a story in and of itself. It's a short story. It's a tragic story because she, um, through uh, what, whatever medical uh, advances had been um, at that time in, in 1900, they weren't enough to save her. And so working with Laquita, we came up with the title, My Father Poisoned Me or Did He? And so it's a very short book, but we were able to get it published in less than four weeks. And so I was really excited to have something in my hand. And um, if it wasn't for Laquita, I would still be looking and searching for other editors and, and publishers. So the fact that, that Laquita is a one-stop shop, I'll say, in addition to being supportive is, has been amazing. And, it, and the price wasn't astronomical. She takes into account her talents, I believe that she should be charging a lot more, but but her her um, vision is taking your story from from um, what uh, a thought to a realization, and so that was huge. So we, Laquita said, you have several stories here, not just one story, and so the the book about my great aunt Aura 
is just the first in the series. We're going to put out the second in the series, which is called My Father Poisoned Me or Did He? And that's the uh, family member's review of my book, because obviously the title, uh, we blame uh, my, the, the father, her father for her death. And so each of the family members weighs in her, her mother, her sister, and her two brothers. And so um, the, the third book in the series that we're working on is called um, A Duluth Lynching, A Family Perspective, because uh, my great-grandfather and great-grandmother lived in Duluth, uh, actually uh, four blocks from the lynching of the four um, Negro men. They were in their teens uh, working for the circus, and a white woman uh, accused them of, of raping her, and they were dragged out of the jail and, and lynched. And the 100th anniversary was last year of, of the lynching. So that's the third book that we're working on. And so we're just taking it step by step. My grandmother was blessed to live 93 years. So she has a lot of rich his history. She worked with um, not only W.E.B. Du Bois, but with Langston Hughes and, and with um, Thurgood Marshall. So we're just taking it bit by bit. And um, I'm just very grateful to Laquita for just helping me just get the vision in, on paper because it's really a rich story that needs to be broken down into sections. And, I, and no one ever suggested that to me, all of the people that I had submitted the document to. So I just feel that um, things don't happen by accident. And it's a blessing to to have um, met her and have her support. Okay, so again, I guess for our, our audience members, because I'm sure that there's more than a few who are contemplating or are actively writing a family history book. Um, Karen, can you talk tell us a little bit about the process that you went to? Because basically, if you're looking for an editor and a publisher, that's a relationship, right? Um, and there's a lot of factors and a lot of moving parts that go along with that relationship. Some relation, you know, as we know in other parts of our lives, some relationships are good, some are neutral, some aren't exactly positive. I think that's, I think that's the word that I'm gonna use. So you've talked about having approached a couple of different publishers. What, what was your criteria in terms of making you feel, ah, oh, this is a publishing company or a publisher that I think I can work with? I would have to say the very first contact that I had with Laquita, um, we, as I said, we connected over LinkedIn. She was very personable. She reached out. Um, we contacted through texting and then by phone. And then we had a, uh, a Zoom appointment. And I, I, for me, it was the um, availability that, that she was available for me. She was extremely reasonable, but most important, she was very supportive. And uh, Laquita has, through pay-per-view uh, publishing, has published um, many, many authors, mostly, I, I believe they're all African-American. I'm not really positive, I believe so. But just to know that there's a home that somebody's supportive and, and there's a huge range. There's children's books, there are all kinds of books that people have written and she's not gonna turn you down. I think that was the most important thing because it can get very frustrating when you submit an, a piece and someone says, well, well th this is not important to the general public. Uh, nobody's interested in your story. You don't have 10,000 um, Instagram followers. So no one's going to pick it up. And everybody has a story that's important. And for me, it wasn't the notoriety. I just wanted to, one, fulfill my promise to my grandmother. And, and it's an extension of me. You know, it gives, gives me an opportunity to stretch and go in different areas by having this opportunity. So I would say most important is knowing that the person, the, the editor slash publisher, uh, if, if they're one in the same, as I found with Laquita or are different people, that they are, are sensitive to you and respectful. Number one is respect. Um, criticism is important in every format, but there's a way to express that to people and still be supportive. And that's what I found with Laquita. Okay. Well, you're speaking to two people who publish books. <laughs> so Donnie and I can both sympathize with that. Most definitely, most uh, definitely. Laquita, my question for you, <clears throat> I'm going to do an analogy. Um, I owned and ran a, a music, a record label in a music publishing company. So again, getting low, just getting just an insane amount of unsolicited demos to kind of listen to. 
But in the process of listening to demos, you, you form an, an opinion about, well, nope, not gonna sign them because it's not our genre or for whatever reason, they're not quite there yet. But then you have a larger basket of possible signees. And a lot of times my business partner and I would sit there and just and chat to say, well, do they have a business manager? Are they, you know, but the most important thing was, were they, did we feel as though they were an artist that we could work with? Were they gonna listen? Were they gonna take feedback? Or were they gonna fight and resist every step of the way? And that was a big factor for us. Is there a similar kind of process that publishers go through in terms of signing, signing new writers? Especially, and I wanna add on to that, especially given the fact that Karen actually just said that you don't necessarily turn them down. So like, how do you go through that? So for every, that's a good question. For everybody who has a story, when they get, when I get a referral, um, I, I do a discovery call. I do a book discovery call. And honestly, I don't really have to turn anybody down, but when they hear my process and they find out what I, what roles I take, sometimes they decide that they, for whatever reason, they don't want to go with me. But I always do a discovery call. And from that discovery call, I want to, I'm asking several questions. One question is, you know, have they written their story or are they thinking about writing their story? That's very important. Number two, I want to know what's their realization. When do they want to have a book in their hand? And number three, what, who's the audience? Why are they writing their story? Some people are writing just for the sense of accomplishment. Some people are writing because they, they, um, just want to get some things off their chest and they just want to have a book sitting on the shelf and some people are writing because they want to make passive income. So finding out what their why is, is important. Once I do, uh, I don't talk price to anybody until I find out what their purpose is. Once I do, then I'll send them based on, based on what we come up with during the discovery call, then I'll send them, uh, what my prices are. Uh, based on their needs. So I do customized pricing based on their needs. And once they agree to the pricing, then we start the work. Um, there are some, some people will come and they have an idea or they have a story uh, and a timeline that's not realistic. Um, even with Karen, when she, when, we, when she came and we started talking and she said, I've been doing this and this. And I was like, wait a minute, this is, you have a, you have a book right there. Um, I, I also kind of listen and want to and see there are sometimes people have been working on a project with no real direction. Um, sometimes you can start putting a project together from your own thinking without any real direction. And then when it gets big and, you know, you guys know what happens when things start growing and growing and they start getting too big, they start to become overwhelmed. And when you start to become overwhelmed, most people do what? You just stop. You stop and right. so. I don't want people uh, with Karen, she had such a, she had done so much research and I didn't want, I didn't want her to feel like her research was in vain because when I, when she sent me the information and I read it immediately, I was like, Hey, wait, 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 you have something here. This is, this, this you have a book right here. So sometimes um, I, I like to help people to realize that they have the, the, the achievable thing. So, you know, here's the, here's the realistic part. We can do this. It may not be your, your 200 page novel or your novella or your autobiography. Um, it may not be ready for this part, but here's an alternative so that the work that you've done, you won't feel like you've been kicking your heels and your work has been in vain. So I, I try not to say no to people, but I help them to realize what's realistic. And sometimes they, sometimes people, um, once, once we talk and I, and I think I do a really good job in coaching and developing people through the process. So once they realize that, you know what, this is, this is, and I never say, no, you cannot. Uh, and Karen and I've had this conversation before. I'm not going to tell you, no, you can't because you can do anything you want to do. Now there might be a cost associated with that or there might be some headache associated with it. And sometimes you just have to realize that, okay, no, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But I help people, I, I like to find a way to say yes. Because everybody, I, I, I will say this until I have no breath in my body, everybody has a story. And everybody has a right 
uh, or should be able to tell their story and be free from the pain and the frustration and the hostility or whatever was invoked upon them, or even that they invoked upon somebody else, they should be free from that. And telling the story does that. So Brian, I, I, I always try and find a way to say yes. Now, there are people who are who, who don't receive feedback as well. I've worked with people like that too. And what I've done, and I've, I've published books for people who are resistant to feedback, but they see that it costs them a little bit more. If we have, if you're, if you're not listening to my coaching and development in this part of the process, then when it gets to the editing part of the process and you haven't received that coaching and, and your, your editing comes back with red, <laughs> red, yellow, and green highlights and where you could have paid, you know, $800 for your editing, you're paying fifteen to $2,000 because you didn't want to take the feedback then you you learn you either you know my mom used to say you're gonna get it the easy way or you're gonna get it the hard way so that that has happened too and at the end it's you know it's been with appreciation because then they see I'm 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 not your I'm not your enemy and I'm not trying to tell you your book you can't do your book the way that you want to you just have to know that if you in, if you include this in your book or that you may shorten your audience. You may eliminate some pieces of the of the public who might find your work or the way that you tell your story to be offensive. So I coach them through that process as well. Okay. So um, we have actually someone who has a question who I know has a story. Do you mind if I ask that question right now, Brian? No, not at all. Oh. Okay. So this question is from um, Elizabeth Wiseman, and she says, if you have your story or stories, is it better to write your draft before contacting you if you haven't put pen to paper yet? If she, if you already have a story, is it best to put your, to write your draft before? So basically, that, was she, that the question? Yeah, she already has her story. And um, can you hear me? Uh -huh, I can hear you. Yeah, because I see my thing has gone out. I don't know why. My video has left for some reason. Um, we can definitely hear you. I okay, hear you. well, um, yeah, she she has her story already, but um, she hasn't written it down yet. But she has several stories within her, like a lot of stories. So does she have to give you a draft first or... Can she just tell you what the stories are and then you coach her from there or what is, what's the best? Um, I can do that. And what I typically do in that situation, um, I, I coach her through it first. And then we determine with all of, if she has a variety of stories, we determine what's the best story to tell first. So she may, she may have a story drafted and she may say, okay, well, I have another story. So we, we, you know, I coach through the process of what's best to tell. And then I provide an outline to help get that story out. So it, it, it's not, it, it doesn't take as long or it's not as frustrating a process. So it isn't necessary to have a draft written um, because through the coaching, she may have something written. And after the coaching through the session, she may feel like, oh, I need to go and redo that. So if she has a story in her head that it's not on paper, uh, we can work through that process and see which story, you know, she wants to, to get out first. Or it might be a way to combine those. We do short stories. We do compilation stories, anthologies. So a book of short stories. So just because a book isn't 200 pages long doesn't mean that you can't get your story out. My question to both Karen and Laquita, and I guess Laquita, if you would like to go first, I'm trying to think of the best way of phrasing this question. Is there, how are, how are kind of African-American centric family history books perceived and handled within the wider publishing, within the wider publishing world? I'm trying to phrase it in such a way that I'm not loading the question with with an answer? Um, <laughs> so 
it, 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 it depends. It depends on the type of story. Um, it, it just depends. And it depends on the audience. Um, Karen, for instance, Karen's audience is very wide. Her audience can be, her audience is uh, uh, people who are history buffs, um, people who are, you know, civil rights uh, movement, yes, um, people who are genealogists, people who are just regular Joe people like me, who are just interested in the facts. There are people who, who are just interested in the details of the story. So her story, you know, it depends on, it depends on your audience. And during the, during the discovery call, we talk about the audience. And sometimes when I talk to people, they say, okay, well, this is my audience. And after we finish our conversation, they realize, hey, you know what? I have, you know, here, here, here are five more groups of audiences that I didn't even realize would be interested in my book, including um, people who are, who are in different generations. Uh, I just did a book for a, a woman who wrote a book about a 108-year-old woman. So her, her, her audience has just tremendously increased because I didn't even know that there were so many young people who were under the age of, who were millennials, who were interested in the life of a 108-year-old. So it did. So, so to answer your question, Brian, it depends on who your potential audience is and and what your story. Uh, also, where you're from, where your history originates from, too. Okay, and same question to Karen. So for me, I to be completely honest, I doubt seriously that my book would have been published if I hadn't come across Laquita, because the people that I had contacted. Um, were very hesitant, as I indicated, because they um, I didn't have um, a huge following on Instagram. I wasn't famous, um, even though they found my grandmother's story interesting and in that she had um, worked with these very famous people. Nobody knew her. Uh, you can Google her. You can find information about her. But at the same time, there was this, um, what was presented to me from the publishers and editors was that no, nobody's gonna be interested in this story because no one has heard of her and no one has heard of you. And so there's no reason why someone would pick up a book. And so we are not going to support you. The best I think you can do is do a self-publishing because I, even though I, um, one person told me that she had um, edited uh, books uh, that ended up being on the New York Times bestseller. She said, your book will not end up there. And um, for a number of reasons, your best bet is just to go through self-publishing. And I'm like, why would I pay you five to $10,000 to edit when you're saying it's not gonna go anywhere? So it, it was getting really um, frustrating for me. And as I indicated that I didn't feel that I had the skills set to do self-publishing. I mean, and, and um, what I said to the editor is that you're not going to publish the book. You're not going to do any. So all those other add-ons, it's like an a la carte thing. And, uh -huh. and what I really appreciated um, by working with Laquita was that it was a one-stop shop. And she's gone above and beyond what she had originally indicated that she'd be able to do for me. Whatever I needed, uh, she was there for me. The, a book launch online because of COVID, uh, that was, that was um, done through Laquita. Business cards, just a lot of extras that I hadn't even thought of. And so I, I felt very frustrated. I, I really didn't think that it would get published at all until I came, I knew no one was interested. And those were the reasons I was given. One, no one knew my grandmother, who she was, she wasn't famous and I wasn't famous. And, and so when they like come back, when, when, you, when, when you have some followers uh, about 10,000 or 100,000 and that, that's just not my skill set. And I didn't feel I had to, to make myself famous or popular to get that, but that's what was presented to me. And I think it's much more difficult being African-American and a story that people um, uh, uh, aren't familiar with, um, the person that, that, that either me or my grandmother. And so it was very discouraging, it was. But you know, that's, that's the sad part because we're, we have so many hidden figures. Mm -hmm. 
that it is just amazing that they miss that. And and until they start seeing it and recognizing, you know, it being placed on movies called Hidden Figures, then they're like, oh, you know, wow, we should have done this or wow, we should. I mean, our story is so hidden in American history that it's and and until we put it out there and someone says something about it, then they're like, dang, I missed that. That was money in the bank and I should have gotten it or whatever. Because how many people can say that their their that their family member worked for W E B Du Bois? You know, not many. But what a lot of people don't realize is, and this is something that I learned in doing my research as far as our families were concerned. A lot of people don't even understand that, you know, that old saying that all black, I think it was on blackish. Um, it was supposed to have been funny where the white people in the, in the group, in the, in the show, they thought all black people knew each other. Mm. And then Andre and another guy was sitting there trying to figure out, you know, do we all know each other? And they were always somehow, it was the six degree of separation. Somehow they all was doing it. Well, guess what? During the Harlem Renaissance time, they were crossing paths. That six degree separation thing was really, really weird. It was there. Because I can take from my family, for example, my mother used to sing with Aretha Franklin because Mm. her father, on those tours, on those church tours, he used to sing at my grandparents' church all the time. Right. So that's what it was. Thurgood Marshall used to do stuff for the church. Addison Scurlock, famous photographer, used to do. So somehow we always had some kind of way of knowing right. that right. other person. And they missed this stuff. Right. But these, and were, I, uh, these yeah. were famous people. And of that time, for us, may not have been for you, but definitely for us. So, you know. And I like what what Brian had said at the beginning is that just being surviving is is not enough. It's just a testament to our spirit and our our tenacity. And so we don't have to be uh, the Thurgood Marshall because Thurgood Marshall didn't do it by himself. W.E.B. Du Bois didn't do it by himself. So just the fact that we are here and we had ancestors that got us here, that's that's what we need to celebrate. I think Laquita said it in Black History Month, there's more than Martin Luther King. Not that not that we don't honor Martin Luther King, but every every we have Rosa Parks, there's like four or five people every um Black, Black History Month. Month, we honor the same five people. And she's like, there's more than five people that, that have contributed to Black history. So I love that when she, when she said that to me. And I was like, that's yeah, true. Please don't get me and Brian started on it. <laughs> I have a co- couple of comments to something that Karen said. And Laquita, please feel free to, to jump in with your comments. So go cycling back to what you were saying about approaching publishers and being told you didn't have a big enough kind of social media profile. Well, I've got a healthy one, but I don't have 10,000, 100,000 people following me on social media, but I have two best-selling books on Amazon. And luckily I was working with a publisher who kind of realized the kind of, um, well, they, they also had an amazing marketing team. Um, and I liken that to, again, the music industry. I was signing bands that no one had ever heard of before. And it was my record label's job to get their name out there in the public and to get them talking about it. Um, so it frustrates me when I hear that about certain publishers using these, these metrics. Well, unless you have Instagram of 100,000 people, we can't do anything for you. you know, that's what their marketing department is supposed to be there for you. Um, so I, I, I find that a lot within the wider entertainment industry. Um, I didn't know how you felt about that, Lakita. Oh, have we lost her? No, she's turning off her mic. Um, you know, that I, I don't can you can can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You hear me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um I, I don't I don't um from from a from a from a standpoint, a new publisher standpoint, I don't like that thinking because it tells me that the little guy has no chance. 
um, everybody has to start from somewhere. We all started from somewhere. When we all started, we didn't have we didn't have ten followers. We started with one. Everybody started with one. So to say that we can't you you. She just broke up. Okay, well, while well, well, we while well, we get her back. I'm sorry, I cut off. Okay. I'm back. I'm sorry. I cut <laughs> off again. Go ahead. Um, you guys hear me? Yes, ma'am. So to to say that to say that we you have to have a certain amount of followers before we can publish it it does a disservice because the project you just don't know you just don't know the richness of the project and what you can be saying no to um i i this the, the show the um the united states against billy holiday i was getting ready to watch that and when it came on the very first picture i don't know if you guys have seen that i was like wait why does that picture look so familiar so i was like i know that picture i know that picture so i went to the to my karen my karen ray nance or my elsa ray nance file and it was the picture of the lynching that happened just four blocks from where her grandparents lived. And I said, wow. And then as it was going through to find out that her grandmother was, was writing, was on the, on the committee to, to write to Congress to have the lynchings outlawed. That was, that's rich history. Mm -hmm. So if I had been one of those people to say no, then, uh, you know, I, I'm sure the people who, who said no to her are probably kicking themselves because they didn't, they didn't take the time to know that, you know, like you said, Danya, who knew, you know, do you know anybody who worked with W.E.B. Du Bois? Not just worked with them, but had a relationship for 40 years. How about that? Do you that? know anybody yeah. who started the NAACP just four blocks from the 1920 lynchings? Do you know anybody who, who worked, like, like you said, your family did? with Langston Hughes and with, you know, the, the, the a black judge, who knew, right. you know? So they miss, you know, when you say no, because of, you know, because of your lack of followers, then <laughs> you say no to a, to a rich history. So you miss an opportunity to, to, to you know, bring awareness um, to a different area of, you know, people that they know they didn't know about. And I didn't know about, so I learned a lot too. Exactly. So Brian, we have a couple of questions in here. Can we get to those? I'm just gonna jump in real quick. The The reason why I asked that question is I had never heard of Edward Ball, bought his book, Slaves in the Family. Never heard, I can't remember his first name. You might, you might remember. Edward. Um, the, uh, Vance, the one who wrote Hillbilly Elegy. Never heard oh, of him. Okay. And I bought his book. So I don't know. I always wonder if there's a double standard there. Yeah. But there's more questions, I believe. Yes, it is. So Latifah Williams, she said, um, and I think this is for Laquita, but she said, is it better to write about one family member at a time or to write about a certain time period? Um, I usually leave that up to the discretion of the author. Um, now, there is a lot of research that's involved but it's up to the author. Um, yeah, Karen can answer that question because <laughs> she started out writing about her grandmother's life and it just developed that now there we're, we're, she's writing about her, her grand, her uncle, I mean, yeah, her uncle, great uncle, her great grandfather at the same time. So pulling that information to put them in one piece of work. Um, so it's, I, I think it's up to the discretion of the author. And the, you know, and the, the patience of the publisher. Um, Karen could probably answer that question. Karen, what's your thoughts? So my thought is that it's, it, my story has evolved. Um, my grandmother had a rich history. She lived 93 years. And even though I was aware that um, my family lived four blocks from the Duluth lynchings, uh, my grandmother didn't focus on that in the paper. She actually, I just, just for clarification, she was a stenographer. So she kept tedious notes and journals. And so I'm very privileged to have most of those documents that she kept over the years. She kept letters that she wrote. And so I focused on her journals and the papers that she kept. 
So because she wasn't physically in Duluth at the time, the lynching, she was about um, an hour away in, in another town. She didn't focus on the lynching itself. She focused on her work afterwards, working on the dire anti-lynching bill. And so my focus was on all of these documents that I have, over a thousand pages of documents. And it wasn't until I live in California and I had never been to Duluth, Minnesota. And I said, in this next section, this next book I want to write, I want to make sure that I've at least traveled to Duluth so that I have a better frame of reference. And that's when I started learning more. And this is just within the last six months about the Duluth lynchings and the fact that there is a book out <clears throat> by Mike Fito called um, The Duluth Lynchings, but it's from a white perspective. And without his book, there would be no perspective because uh, for years, no one even spoke about it. And he wrote his first book in 1970. And so when in going to Duluth, uh, the population, let me just back up, in 1920 was, a, was about 1% Black out of 100,000. Now we have uh, 83,000 population and the population of Blacks is still 1%. And so uh, I learned that there had been no um, story from the perspective of, of a Black family that lived in Duluth during this time. My great-grandfather um, married a Swedish woman who came directly from Sweden. So it was an interracial family. Uh, my great-grandmother uh, always presented herself as, as Black and never identified otherwise. Her two, two brothers passed as white. So just that family perspective of, of five people living in this household that had totally different perspectives that lived five blocks from the... Um, lynching site. And so in talking to Laquita and talking to people from Duluth, I realized that it was only fair to tell the story from each of those people's perspectives. And so I, that's why I believe that it's, it's an evolution and that it's really, really important to discuss, um, a co to discuss your book or your ideas about your book with a coach and with other people that can support you because whatever your idea was in the beginning, it might transform into something else. And that's what's happened with my story. So I would say, um, don't be stuck and say, I'm only gonna write about this one person and I'm only gonna write about this one period of time because the more you talk uh, to other people and get feedback, it becomes a richer and, and more viable story. And that was my experience. So we have another question um, that said, asks, what should be your first step to publishing your family history? But I think you kind of answered that question already, but you can go through it. No, I just would, I would say that get um, in contact with somebody, one that you can trust and that will, um, and, and I'm a huge fan of, of Laquitas. Um, and I think that people need to, one, do some research and, and find out what, what is their ultimate goal. Is it to write one book? Is it to write something that you want to share within your family? And um, sometimes there are questions that come up that you don't have the answer to. So it's really important to talk to a professional in the area. As a, as a minority, as an African-American, it was really important to me to support um, someone that, that was African-American that understood my story. And so um, it was very, very helpful for me to um, connect with Laquita and follow her lead. So that, that's my experience. Laquita? And I, I, would, say, I, I would say find your support circle. Um, there are going to be times when you set out to write your story, write your family story. There, here's the bottom line. Everybody in your family is not going to be interested. They, they don't care. They don't want to know. Um, sometimes people know some stuff and they don't even want to dig up the past. So you might be a lone ranger. So you have to find your support circle. You have to find somebody who's going to be honest with you. But somebody, sometimes people can be honest and dash your dream. But you want somebody who's going to be honest with you, but that's going to support you through it because you're going to need a sounding board. You're going to need somebody to say, hey, it's okay you can do this and be patient through the process because it's a frustrating journey. There's frustration, there's anxiety, there's fear, and that's all normal. And Karen's not in her head because she went through all that. She went through, you know, what's my family going to think? 
she and and I would tell her at the end of the day, you have to be comfortable because this isn't my family, and whatever you do, I'm not gonna have to be the one to answer those questions. Your family is gonna have to be the one to say, hey, why'd you say this? Um, with my father poisoned me, there were questions. Well, who told you that? Well, why? And it and it wasn't that they didn't have the access to the to the records. Also, they could have gotten it too, but they were not interested until she started putting it out. So find your support circle, and then know that there's gonna be no matter what you do, there are gonna be people who are not gonna agree with that, who are gonna want to know why did you do it this way. But tell your story, tell your family story. And one thing about it, you can't change history. You can't change the facts. The facts are the facts. So if it happened already, you can't change it. So tell the story, tell the story. And I promise you, there will be people who will be, who will be healed in the process because they're figuring out some things that's going on in their own lives that they didn't know about. And then when they see that, then the light bulb comes, the light bulb comes on and say, okay, this is why I'm going through this. This is why my family is this way. This is what happened. And I know Brian and Donya, you guys do that all the time. Um, on uncovering the history and because you know the bible says you don't know where you if you don't know your history you don't know where you're going you don't know where you've been so and don't you hate it Karen story but find that support circle that's important yes and don't you hate it when they get mad when you find stuff and they're like well why you say that and you read it and you're like well you it was right there why you you know yeah. it's like it was it was sitting <laughs> right there what what you why are you mad now? Well, it was always there. What you, right. you know? But I'm, I digress. So <laughs> just one more question. Well, I was going to actually say. I you said, know, look, I can't make this stuff up. I can't make it up. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that, Donnie, you know how important it is to have that support circle. Yes. You have that for your family. Yes. So we have one more question. And um, D Turner says, please tell us about the importance of writing history books for our children that reflect the milestones in the lives of the common folk. So, you know, have you ever come across someone who's wanted to write a family history book that can do it, but for in a children's version? Have you ever done that before? Um, you know what is funny? I just published a book. Um, it's called A World Without Me. And it was written by a school teacher because she wanted to, she wanted to write a book because there, 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 history isn't taught anymore. Um, so she wanted to write a, she wanted to do a children's book, and she wanted to pin it in a way. Well, what would happen if I didn't exist? What would happen if all of the contributions that I contributed, I, if I packed those up and left this world, then what would the world look like? And she did that in the form of a children's book. So she told our history in the form of a children's book and it was absolutely magnificent so i think that we have to i think we have to create um we have to create literature we have to create um projects so that our children will see something different we have the we have the responsibility and i was getting ready to say the opportunity i think we have the responsibility to create the narrative that we want to see so if we want to see our children learn about history and learn about our family history, we have to do it in a way that they can understand it. So they may not be able to understand as a five-year-old, they may not be able to understand Karen's history book, but if I put it in a way that they can understand it, then they'll get it. Uh, I did a children's book, My Neighbors Don't Look Like Me, and I use little stick figures, and it's a simple book with a powerful message, and I talked about dirt. and snow and all children know about dirt i have a two-year-old grandson who knows about dirt all children know about dirt and all children know about ice my two-year-old likes to eat ice so they know about ice and so i took a simple concept put it in a children's book so that i could teach young children the differences in skin color but in a way that they would understand so we have to i think that's important um to do that uh as you know i i am we like karen said we have a full shop we do um we have illustrators so we do children's books and we 
have if you don't if you have a children's book idea and you don't have an illustrator, we can do that. Even for my own project, um, Walking Limitations, which is my story of medical childhood trauma, it's an adult story. But through this process, I'm seeing more and more children who are broken and who are having having um, issues with being broken, and they don't they can't comprehend that. So I just I'm working on a children's book, which is the opposite, the children's book version of Walking Limitations, and it, it's Laquita's different legs, and it's in a children's standpoint, a, a childhood. It's in a way that children can understand it. So children's book, and look, children's books are for children, but who who has to purchase them? So it has no. to be inviting for the adult. So adults right. like children's books too. So I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important, right? So what's the um the your 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 website address to contact you? What's the best way? So my website is um. It's paper, if they if if they're interested in in um, reaching out to me, um, they can visit my website and it's paprovpublishing.com. So that's p a p r o p p a I'm sorry p a p r o v i publishing.com, and they can reach out to me through the website. Um, and if anybody's listening and they're interested, if you're you're the people who ask the questions, if they're interested in um, some coaching and development or knowing more about publishing, or even if they have questions and they want me to, you know, help them through the process, um, I offer a 30-minute, uh, a free 30-minute coaching call, so a discovery call, so they can reach thank out to me and I can help them. I'd be happy to. And Karen, okay, where is you so your books located? My books are also on payprobepublishing.com as well as Karen Nance, K-A-R-E-N, nance.com the website okay well thank you both to karen and <clears throat> laquita for talking, for talking about your experiences um i hope that our audience has has a lot to, to mold over and to, to take away i found it really fascinating um did you have anything to say donna no, I, I just, I love it. And um, you'll probably be hearing from me, Laquita, because I do need to go back over my book. And Brian keeps talking to me about writing another book. <laughs> so because of the coaching that you do, maybe we could just sit down and I can take advantage of that 30 minute, you know, consulting mm -hmm. and maybe you can pull a book out of what it is he's talking about. Because I personally don't think I have enough. <laughs> But he says I did, so you know you'll hear from me definitely. And I know someone who needs to talk to you. Well, yeah. that would be great. <laughs> so, Karen and Laquita, thank you so well, much. Well, they send me a just send me a message. I would love to. Okay, thank you both, ladies. Though this was thank awesome. you for having thank us. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you at home or wherever you're watching us for sharing this hour with us. Next week, we will be talking about a history of African-American cowboys with Larry Cowley. Prepare to have your mind blown because there is fascinating stuff that Larry is going to be sharing with us. And as always, you don't have, even though we enjoy you, you know, watching us live on Facebook and being able to ask questions, never forget, you can see us on YouTube. Um, you can listen to the audio-only podcast on places like iTunes, Spotify. I'm missing one, Donya. iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio, yes. Yeah, we just got on iHeartRadio. And Larry is actually going to tell us an awesome story about the Lone Ranger. Wow. So he's going to go yeah. into um, Bass Reeves, and mm -hmm. he's going to get into that. And I'm excited because, you know, we've heard all of the stories about Bass Reeves and the fact that he's black and he's the Lone Ranger, and you know, I'm trying to figure out is it true or not. So let's get it. <laughs> I just want to know is is the Lone Ranger black or no? We can ready to find out. So let's if you guys are interested in that, then let's, let's listen to it. Tune in next week, and we will see you guys on Sunday. Thank you so Enjoy. much. Enjoy Thank the you guys. Day. All right. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. Bye.